practice and in this three-part podcast series you'll hear me in conversation with Ali as we talk about how things might be done differently in relation to child protection and domestic abuse. Ali's reflections here are brave and honest as she talks powerfully about how she navigated the children's social care system when experiencing domestic abuse from her ex-partner. In episode two, Ali drew upon her positive experience working with one particular social worker as she discussed what a different children's social care response to domestic abuse can look like. In her discussion, Ali shines a light on the crucial role trust occupies, as well as a good relationship-based working when supporting families. In this third and final episode, Ali reflects on the children's social care response to perpetrators of domestic abuse. She explores how systems and dominant practice might be improved so that the responsibility for stopping the domestic abuse is shifted away from victim survivors and onto the people causing harm. In this, Ali discusses the relationship between children's social care and her ex-partner, highlighting how they might have better held him to account for his harmful behaviours. And cohering with many other women's experiences, we also hear about the ways in which child contact arrangements can be manipulated by perpetrators of domestic abuse as they attempt to maintain power and control. Finally, Ali speaks about the complex process of leaving her ex-partner for the last time and of the challenges of rebuilding her sense of self after years of violence and controlling behaviour. This is a Research in Practice podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice with children and families, young people and adults. If we move on to um, thinking about your ex-partner, and we've we've touched a bit on this, how would you have liked social care to respond to your ex-partner when he was abusing you? Hold him to account, like, and I get that even then, I mean, I'm saying that, but then there will have been times where they might have held him to account and it could have had a drastic impact on me because it had been me who got the backlash of his anger. But at the same time, by making it so that the blame was always on me for not leaving, when did anyone ever question him for not leaving? That's never happened. That's never, ever happened. Even like family, I remember sometimes getting to points where they'd be like, well, why do you not leave? It's like, do you know, well, why why doesn't he leave? You know, it's okay. Everyone's saying that it's down to me, but it's like, how come everyone thinks that I should like why is it down to me to do that but not to him um I think it's difficult because to me even though I know now like he did caring like he did some of caring dads and then did some work with probation and I have this thing of like I always like to look at the whole picture I know that even now if there was other options for perpetrators he probably still wouldn't do it because he's not in a place to change for himself But when I look at people that are in abusive relationships and actually the perpetrator might be in a place where it is changed, there is no service around for that to happen until it reaches a point where it's already really severe and there's already children involved as well. Because actually before I had my first daughter, no one ever spoke to him. Like there was quite a few professionals that knew that I was in an abusive relationship But he never, you know, there was never anything offered to him apart from the police offering an anger management, which is just a basic all round. It's not specific to relationships. Um, Because now even now when I look at it and it's how 
at some point he might have contact with our children. But then if he goes on into another relationship, how do I know that that's not abusive? Because actually we've we've acted like when I've left him now, everything's sold for my children and that they're not at risk anymore. But they, they can be in the future. They can be when he gets into a new relationship and if they're seeing him. And I think it's that list of things to do in it. You know, in every plan, there's a list of who's responsible for what. And even up to the closing plan, I was very much all, I mean, that was when it wasn't, when we had the good social worker, she always made sure that it was not just all on me. But when it was closing, it was a different one as well. And even then, the list is me. Like, it's who's responsible for things. And it is just me, 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 me. And he had two things on there that he was responsible for. So it's just that as well. Like, why is it that everything's... And I know that it's because there's more services available to a victim, but that doesn't mean that then the victim has to take part every single service that's available to them. No. It's a difficult one because it's going to be different for every family and there might be some... I'm going to say women because I know it is mostly women, but there will be some women where actually as well, depending on how the social worker speaks to him, could put her in a worse position. But for him, I feel like they, I was in a mother and baby placement. He wasn't going to get to me there. There was no reason why he shouldn't have been held to account. I wasn't at risk of how he would respond to that. Mm -hmm. So he should have been held to account. So it's weighing up that risk. Or even things like, I always did try and ask them that if they had a one-to-one meeting with him, that they would let me know what his mood was like within that meeting so that I could kind of be prepared of what is he going to come back like. That was during the pre-births because it was important for me to know that to for my own safety and to make sure that I was okay and prepared. Um, so there's... It's that, and it's hard because then there was times where like, I felt like, you know, because they wasn't really trying to even engage with him at points, and then I was then pressuring them a lot to, like, engage with him and not just me, but then it got portrayed as that I was always giving him excuses for not working with them almost, that I need to stop always trying to make excuses. And that was the difference with B as well because I really knew that she was trying when he wasn't actually doing anything, that was that. He wasn't doing anything. I didn't question it. I didn't try to say, well, have you done this? Have you done that? Because actually I knew and I trusted that she had tried her best. But the other ones were so clearly not wanting anything to do with him. They almost made me defensive to the situation because I was so tired of the pressure on me. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you holding all of that responsibility is, is a huge burden. All of it, all of the responsibility, all of the fear, all of the threats, all of the backlash when something went wrong, like everything was on me. And actually it's so mentally tiring that it gets to the point where social care is having such an impact on your mental health. And that's what I mean. You constantly then forget about the abuse. The abuse is nothing. You, you've managed the abuse for however long and lived with it. But then you've got social care that just, they don't realise it's not minimizing but because they become such an overbearing thing on your life the perpetrator becomes the least of your problems social care your biggest problem now and you end up putting your full focus on that rather on how you're going to manage the situation with the perpetrator which just and in fact sometimes for me it pushed me more to him because we had this common thing of that 
we wanted them to leave. He wanted them to leave, for obviously, but he didn't want to have to do anything. But I just wanted them to leave because I wanted to not have this fear over me of my kids are going to go. I got to the point where I was more worried about, is my child going to come home with me tonight? And that's what I mean by it overrules everything. Because then in my head as well, it was, if she's not coming home with me, how can I make sure she's okay? If she's no longer with me and if she's in care, how can I look after? How can I make sure, you know, what's best for her happens? I know now you've um, left the relationship um, and we've spoken a bit about that leaving process and how I think you said uh, something along the lines of after you leave, it's not all rosy, you know, it's 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 by no means a bed of roses. Um, and I wondered if you could maybe expand on that a bit. I think no one ever really helped. I could, because I knew that everyone's end goal all the time was leave. And it was almost then portrayed as that you leave and everything's fine. Like everything's happy. Everything's peaceful. So I wasn't fully prepared for actually what it's like when you truly leave. So obviously I'd left and gone back many a time. In fact, I even left and went back a few months before I left for good. But then when I left for good, like the emotional, the I mean, one thing anyway with social care was when they asked me, how do you know this time's it? And I couldn't tell them. All I could tell them is that I know. Fortunately, this social worker had been through it. And when I said to her, how did you know when you when you left? How did you know that was it? And she said, I just knew. And I said, you have to understand that. Then I, I can't explain it to you. I can't. All I can tell you is that I know and that I know was right, that it has been the time now that I've left for good. But then it's just, I think the hardest one with me is obviously now, I, luckily I started understanding more about the trauma bond. So I was more aware of like certain times when it was really strong in wanting to contact him or wanting to speak to him and stuff. Like I could understand it more and I made like tech, I can't remember fully what it was, but there was like techniques in play. I and mean, it was things like you know, just ringing up friends and stuff and speaking through it without acting on that raw emotion. But then it was then, the other side was that my life had become so revolved so much around him and actually the stress that he brought to my life it it became hard to manage not having that I'd been so used to it and then I'd also not I wasn't me anymore I wasn't the me who entered that relationship I wasn't the bubbly fun person that was really social that knew exactly what she liked and didn't like and it's, it's silly things but even like Picking a film on Netflix, I, I would sit there for ages because I don't even know what I like anymore. I've always watched what he wanted to watch. As it was silly things like that. Listening to music, like they were, I used to listen to a lot of like dance hall music. He always told me like, do you know, I don't like me listening to it because it reminds him of, do you know, when I must have been at carnival and things. And so I stopped listening to it. So then even then when he'd left, it was like, I still felt... For a few months, I almost still lived by his unwritten rules as well. It was hard to come out. It's like his vo- he'd, he'd physically gone, but his voice was very much still in my head telling me not to do these things or there's going to be consequences. Like everyone's got a cake that they've made with all the ingredients that they really love. But when you get in an abusive relationship, you find that your cake starts to erode and it becomes all the ingredients of the perpetrator. And it's all of the stuff that they love. So then when they leave, you're left with kind of, 
you haven't got cake and you've got to find out what cake you like again. It's like learning yourself from new. Um, and that was really hard because there were points where I ended up feeling really depressed and just numb. And I, I can't describe it. It was just literally like I'd lost myself. I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't, I started questioning what I even wanted to do and things. I mean, fortunately, I was still at uni, which helped a lot because I still obviously had that separate thing that worked with or without him um I think that was one of the things that really benefited me like when he went to prison was that because I started going to union things I did have this life this separate life that this part that didn't revolve around him and fortunately that was still there for me to concentrate on um but then there's other things so it's like I had the normal station order in place, but he was allowed to contact me around the kids. And he didn't contact me around the kids. He contacted me to just threaten and to threaten to kidnap and to tell me to stop child maintenance and all of this stuff. And that became quite a regular thing. But then when it's phone calls, it's you know not as clear cut as being able to just press charges. Um, and then I ended up, I changed my number so that he couldn't contact. He's been given a professional's number to contact if he wants to. But then because now he can't contact me directly, he has now tried going down family mediation, which, again, even that's a whole different thing. I remember speaking to the mediator on the phone. I said, there's bail conditions in place. There's a normal station order in place. This isn't going to work. This shouldn't even be allowed and she kind of really tried pressuring me about for the children to arrange for him to see the kids. And I said, he's not. He, the agreement was in direct contact before any direct. And she just kept on saying, well, have, have social care said that in their closing record? And they didn't. So technically, he could argue that he wanted to go straight into unsupervised contact and there wasn't much that I could do about it. But I ended up, I spoke to the police. They told me I need to decline it and things and then what happened was really awkwardly I had to get the non-molestation order reinstated and I got a prohibited steps as well um because they stay with his side of the family um that were regular so I didn't want for him to you know one day get quite annoyed with them and then just try and remove the kids and be able to do it um but then what happened is in doing that he then got obviously the right to appeal anything and oppose it so he's then used that to then have to go in a conference call hearing with me, with the judge. So it's, again, it's just like somehow he's managing to find now legal ways to keep on trying to manipulate my life. Um, I know that he did try telling the judge that I'm not letting him see the kids. I explained it all. But even now, now I have to do new assessments with Kafkas. I have to repeat everything again. And... It, I've now been court ordered to have to sit on a video call with him and Kafkas to come to an agreement. And I just feel like, what, what purpose does this serve? I made an agreement with social care and I don't see why that should be questioned now. Um, so it's just things like that. So it's still an ongoing thing. It's very much like it doesn't just disappear. And something else um, just to pick up on when you were talking about... Um after you separated um you referred to a, a system problem and um i wondered did you have any other thoughts around the system that you were working within at the time 
within children's social care system. Yeah, so anything else? I think it's hard for them. And I understand that social workers must find it so hard because it's like there's only a set amount of other services that they can refer into or tap into to help. But, um, you know, actually, it's thinking outside the box in it as well because we had an outreach worker who... I, it was only just before I left, but the planned work just before I left, and that's what I mean, it was quite unexpected that I was going to leave him. But the planned work and what we'd planned was to actually sit with her and do stuff around health relationships together. Um, and we were going to talk about like healthy arguments because one of the key things was that it was sometimes we could have a normal argument that would just very quickly escalate as well so it was like around speaking of things like that and different techniques to try and manage things healthier he was also doing some one-to-one work with caring dads um and then what they said because I said that I was just worried that if like me and him were taking very different things from it and it wasn't actually conjoining together if that made sense so because we were taking different things it it didn't fully work because we were also everyone interprets some of it differently don't they and because we was interpreting some of it differently actually again caused some arguments but then what she suggested was that by the end of their set sessions they then wanted to conjoin with her and the caring dad's worker and me and him to do some joint sessions to kind of pull it all together but again like that isn't just a service that's just there and offered is it it's just they'd kind of fall outside the box and thought okay let's give this a try and see how it didn't end up coming to that because I'd left him but it was a fact that that was offered and actually that helped me with trusting that she didn't have the hidden agenda as well. As we draw it to a close are there any other things or anything else that you would like to mention regarding what might be a better response to women that have had similar experiences to yourself with children's social care and domestic abuse? To not end up treating them like they're the perpetrator as soon as they have a child. Like, in an ideal world, nobody wants to bring a child into that kind of relationship. Like, I couldn't go through an abortion, but at the same time, I knew fine well that it was not the best situation to bring a child into. But then to be treated like I was the perpetrator and I was no longer a victim, I was now the perpetrator to my child because I was failing to protect and I was failing to leave. I think it's important to recognise that a victim, whether they're a mum or not, is still a victim. And in fact, it just becomes more complicated when you've had a child emotionally. Yeah, that's a really, really powerful message, I think. Really, really powerful. Um, So thank you, Ali. for uh, sharing your experiences with me. There's some really, really powerful, important messages there that I think um, it's really important that other people hear um, and can take away from. Um, And I guess before we close, could you tell me a bit about what you're doing now? I know you're you're studying, aren't you? Yeah, um, I'm studying and working with families course at uni and then I've now just been accepted to complete a master's in social work. That's amazing. Really, really exciting. Be the change you want to see. <laughs> is the motto in my head with this. <laughs> well, that's that's a fantastic way to end, I think. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ali. <laughs>
It's fine. Thank you. Thank you. for listening to this research in practice podcast we hope you've enjoyed it why not share with your colleagues and let us know your thoughts on twitter tweet us at research ip this is the final episode in this three-part series you can find all three episodes on the research and practice website along with materials ali's developed in order to support learning and practice development these include questions for reflection a poem and links to further reading